Welcome back, Wildcat Faithful, to the Wildcat Radio Podcast. My name is Ronnie Stoffel, and we are recording in the Vivid Seats studios. For all of our listeners, you can use promo code OVERTIME in the Vivid Seats mobile app to save up to $100 on all ticket purchases. Please note that is for first-time customers only. And joining me in the Vivid Seats studios is Mr. Adam Green. Adam, happy Labor Day to you. How you doing, buddy? Uh, pretty good, I guess, this weekend for Arizona fans. Could have been, well, it wasn't too bad because Arizona didn't play, which I guess at the same time is less fun because the last time we saw them play did not go particularly well. You can feel one of two ways on that. You can be happy that we didn't play because we didn't have the chance to lose or, you know, just whatever. You know, yeah, it would have been nice. It would have been nice if we played and had the chance to erase what happened. Oh, yeah. I'm actually uh, of of the former. I think it's good uh, to hit 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 the reset. Let's not rush into anything else. You know, Adam, that actually brings up a good point though, too, because I know that this had been talked about earlier. Uh, you know, in the off season, just with the whole when when a team schedules Hawaii and goes to Hawaii, they have a chance to schedule a 13th regular season game. Mm-hmm. And obviously, Kevin Sumlin opted to just take that. Well, this year it ended up being a third bye week, but just that extra bye week right um i you know my thought was like sweet yeah you know because we should handle hawaii and that wouldn't be a big deal um do do you think now that is are you still comfortable with that extra bye week just in terms of like preparation rest or do you kind of wish we scheduled a 13th game well it almost feels like having that bye week before nau is useless like you're going to get it this week anyway coming off the hawaii game but it's like no one really got banged up so bad to where you're like, oh, if they're not healthy for the next game, Arizona's in trouble. But there are certainly those times where you're like, yeah, I wouldn't mind having a week off so Khalil Tate's ankle can get healthy or, you know, schoolers nicked up or somebody can be on top of their game for a much tougher opponent. But, you know, it's <laughs> we talked about before week one or before week zero. It's like if you win that game, now you have a couple of weeks of being 1-0 and feeling pretty good about yourself. As it turns out, now you have a couple weeks of being 0-1 and maybe not feeling so good, and that's just the way it goes. So I, I'm fine with the extra bye week, but I'm not sure it was necessary or needed, All con- you know, considering for NAU. But I'm sure those players coming back from the travel and all that, getting into the swing of school and everything, it's probably not a bad idea. And I, I also, I, I think I agree with you, right? I mean, I know like it would have been nice to have the opportunity at another win, right? Um, and, and I think that the rules might actually be a little bit different depending on if you scheduled an FCS, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you scheduled two FCS, well, then your bowl eligibility, I think, jumps up to you need seven wins. But, you know, you definitely could have scheduled some, some other lower tier group of five, you know, what have you, kind of like a Kent State, I guess, right? If you're going to pull something out of the ASU realm, but... Um, yeah, I mean, I get, I think, I think though, I think I agree with you, right? Because no matter what, if you open, I guess you just open yourself up to risk, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Right. So if you schedule that 13th game and you take away an extra week of rest, you open yourself up to the risk of, well, what happens if somebody, even if it is just, you know, a joke cupcake game, you do open yourself up to, you know, what happens if Jace Whitaker reaggravates something, you know, what uh, cool Tate, right. Obviously his foot, as you mentioned. So, um, yeah, I think all in all, you know, I will live with it. I guess, you know, we don't have a say in it, but it is interesting to kind of think that, you know, if, if Kevin Sumlin could have a mulligan on that, would he go back and then opt for that 
13th game now. But Adam, you know, uh, r- real quick to our listeners, uh, be sure to go back and listen to Bryant and Rob. They did a great recap on the 12 pack radio that was released also on Wildcat Radio, the Wildcat Radio side of podcasting. Um, just a couple of housekeeping items before we blow straight past this, Adam. Wildcat Radio podcast, subscribe for, for free through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, etc. Basically, any podcast catcher. Be sure to follow the podcast on social media. Twitter, our Twitter handle at Wildcat Radio AZ. Be sure to also check us out on Facebook as well as our website, WildcatRadioAZ.com, exclusive home for all of our written content, these podcasts, as well as the Survivor Pool, the Eliminator Pool, right? So, uh, is the season football season is in full swing Bryant will have some uh, some 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 weekly rankings some updates for you uh, I think probably here pretty quick but be sure to check out the website too for those real-time updates um, Adam as I mentioned you know Bryant Rob did a great job recapping the game and here we are now about what nine days or so removed recording this on Monday the second Labor Day um, I don't want to spend too much time on it I think, though, you know, something as upsetting uh, as that game was, it probably does warrant at least a few minutes. Um, you know, Adam, let's start with the negatives, right? And then we'll jump to the positives. And, and and by the way, bravo to Bryant for not completely ripping apart what happened defensively in that right. game. I felt like I felt like there was a lot to really criticize there. And, and also Rick DeNice, as, as I'm thinking about, it, they had the third. Uh, the third man on there, Rick DeNice, they all did a great job breaking it down. Everybody stayed positive, which honestly, it was probably pretty tough to do. And had I been on that, I may not have been as positive. Uh, <laughs> but Adam, starting starting defensively, right, that was obviously uh, the black eye of the game, if you will. Uh, what what did you see defensively and how upset are you? What sort of foreshadowing exists in that type of performance? Just all, all overall thoughts defensively. It's so tough because you figure any time you get six turnovers, how could the defense have a bad game? And But then you watch and you're like, well, they weren't exactly forced errors for the most part. Like Whitaker made a great play on the interception the first one, which, of course, Arizona gave right back with their own mistake. But it seemed like early on Arizona was doing okay. They forced a fourth down that got converted, but then they got the interception. But throughout the game, just receivers running free down the field, Arizona not being able to cover everybody. But you also knew that Hawaii had a good offense, right? So I guess the idea that there were points scored, like as much as I want to get on Arizona's defense for that game because they didn't get a pass rush, they didn't really do a great job of stopping the run. They really didn't stop them, I guess, unless you you have to count turnovers, but they only forced one punt, and that was late in the game. Right. But when I watched that game, I didn't leave it saying, geez, the defense lost this one for Arizona because, again, people expected – Hawaii to score points that wasn't a surprise just the thought was Arizona's offense would score more and certainly the defense the first drive that Hawaii had the defense got the ball back they got a turnover like that's doing your job and if the offense comes out and does theirs and goes down scores a touchdown off that turnover it's a different ball game but because the offense gave it back then Hawaii scores and then offense had another three out of Hawaii scores like the defense didn't have a great game, but it's hard for me to sit here after watching it and saying, wow, that was the worst performance I've ever seen from them because I, I know you have too. We've, we've seen them play Washington State the last couple seasons. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I've seen worse defensive performances than this one. It just never felt good because it wasn't like these were fumbles caused by sacks or turnovers where the defensive back jumps around or anything like that. It just seemed like Hawaii gave Arizona's defense so many opportunities. But to me, it was the offense that didn't take advantage. My biggest thing 
with the outcome of this game. And, and, and I think you did a good job framing it, right? We knew what they were going to do. We knew what, what Hawaii was capable of doing. We knew what uh, really their team was predicated on last year, uh, spread them out and throw it around. Right. I mean, that's, that's very obvious. And that goes back to like the Timmy Chang days, you know, and, and that is, you know, uh, completely different coaching staff and everything, but, but just that mantra, just that style of play, just that overall offensive scheme has remained in place. Um, it's just really difficult for me to fathom that it looked like we were unprepared. Uh, you know, speaking about Washington state, you know, last year we saw, uh, when we got the doors just blown off, it was, uh, you know, Washington state, there was a lot of the rush, the three drop the eight, knowing it's the same style of play, right? Spread them out, throw it around air raid, what have you. Um, it, it was ineffective, right? Uh, last year, Gardner Minshew had a tremendous year. Mike Leach, you know, you're talking about power five guys. You're talking about pac 12, top, I don't want to say cream of the crop, right? Because I mean, really, when you talk cream of the crop, you, you think more like five-star guys, like the USC caliber, still Washington state. I mean, they're, they're up there. I mean, they're close, right? Um, not to knock Hawaii, but, but come on. I mean, we're not, we shouldn't be talking about like a, uh, you know, like they, the, it's similar talent. Like it's a similar talent pool. Um, last year that failed miserably this year. It looked like that was actually the exact same approach. Really? I mean, I know in the first half, you know, social media was blowing up over the whole thing and, you know, why are we continuously rushing three, uh, friend of the podcast, Michael Lev did a great job of going back, breaking down and then posting actually play by play, you know, doing a count each defensive play, how many were rushing. Right. And I think he ended up counting that there were only 12 plays where they actually rushed three, um, predominantly it was a four man rush. Now I, you know, I don't know dude, timing, what have you. I, I think a lot of those three man rushes happened in the first half. And that's when a lot of the damage was done. And just kind of like, uh, it just, just the, the stunning, wow, they're up 14, nothing. What the hell's going on? Yeah. You know? Um, and then I think, you know, maybe, maybe to Marcel Yates, fine. You know, like he adjusted maybe a little bit as the game went on fine. Cedric bird, I, I guess, you know, taking that then a step further and kind of more into like the details of what unfolded, it blows my mind that Cedric Bird uh, was not doubled or at least, you know, like there has to be something like he was the only guy that was shredding us. Right. Ended up with 14 catches for 200 plus yards and four touchdowns. We had no answer. And I know Jace Whitaker. He's an outside defender, right? I mean, he's a cornerback. He, he I, I don't remember him ever lining up in the slot. That's not to say that he hasn't. But he has during his time with U of A, he has been a number one cornerback always on the outside. As the game was unfolding, I'm thinking like because Bird, I mean, they were doing a great job of putting Bird, you know, away from Jace Whitaker as they should. Why not play a little, little more chess there, though? You know, and like why not put Jace Whitaker on me? I mean, I, I guess I understand that he doesn't normally play there would be the counter. Fine. Nothing else was working, though. So to me, it didn't seem like that's that big of a risk. Right. Like, see if you could take that guy out of the game. I'm, pr- I'm rambling here, Adam. I guess my thoughts overall, though, it's just it's very frustrating that Marcel Yates had five months to prepare for this game. He knew exactly what they were going to throw at us and they threw it at us. And we couldn't. I mean, I don't want to say we couldn't stop him because we yeah, there were some forced turnovers. Uh, there were some gimme takeaways. Fine. Uh, six turnovers total registered, as you mentioned. Frustrating, frustrating, frustrating. 45 points given up. Final, you know, it was just, it it was tough to watch. And I know everyone can relate to that. It was. And we've seen that a lot from Arizona's defense, too, where it just seems like they can't stop anybody. And they're like, okay, why not? Get a stop. It's third down, get a stop, and whatever. But even like Bird, too, I think Arizona's credit, they did play better defense in the second half. 
They did. They improved. Yeah. Why ended up pulling McDonald? Right. <laughs> like it's yeah, which for is crazy. All the bad games we've seen Arizona play on defense, and that goes even back to the Rich Rod days too, when Jeff Castile was a defensive coordinator. I'm not sure I ever remember one where they got six turnovers and ultimately gave up 45 points. Mm. Like we've seen teams drop 60, 70, you know, in that range, specifically Washington State. And yep. you're right, Hawaii's not on that level, but Hawaii scored 45 points. Okay, it's a good offense there at home. Arizona got six turnovers, which means that six times they took the ball away from Hawaii and did not allow them to score. And yet, Arizona only scored 38 points. And there were adjustments in the second half, in the secondary two, once Bobby Will started playing more. I know Whitaker kind of, they moved him around and had him cover Bird some. And Bird, he had those 14 catches overall, but the second half he wasn't quite as dominant. You mm-hmm. know, so it's like we could look at it and say Arizona's defense wasn't good. They weren't prepared. And sure, the, the way that first half looked, they weren't prepared, which is, like, to your point, they had five months to, to be ready for this game at least, and you, that's the best you could come up with was something like that. But at the same time, I don't think – I don't remember what the over-under was on this one in Vegas. Wasn't it 70-something points, I think? 74 is the last I saw, yeah. Right. So they people were expecting Hawaii to score. And I don't know if anyone thought Arizona was going to go to Hawaii and shut them down and hold them to 20-something points. And, yeah, you'd mm. like to see better than 45, but maybe, what, 38 is what you think Hawaii should have scored on them? So, sure. Yeah, they got 14 in the first quarter, 14 in the second – and 17 the entire second half. Arizona's defense only gave up 17 points in the second half of that game. Like, to me, I'm just this isn't trying to excuse the defense, but it's looking and saying, you know what? Arizona had a lot of issues in that game, and the defense didn't win them the game. No doubt the defense did not win them the game. But are we really expecting the defense to win games for Arizona? Not this no. game. We're no. expecting the defense to keep it close enough for the offense to take charge and win the game. And in this case... The defense kept getting the ball back for the offense. Six turnovers. That should be enough. Arizona should have had more than 38 points. That's what. Yeah. That's how I look at this game. So I want the defense to be better. You need a better pass rush. Harris needs to get in there more. Linebackers need to try to make more, you know, get more tackles for losses and things like that. But six turnovers, I'm not sure what more we're asking of this defense against a good offense than that. I think a lot of it had to, I mean, the, the way you had that point distribution by half, I, I think a lot of it also had to do with the offense finding themselves in the second half, right, and prolonging no drives. However, they only had three points to show for the fourth quarter and what they were able to do. Um, Adam, I, I want to leave it on this uh, as, as far as all, all of the negativity about it. And it's a good transition in, into the kind of the positive takeaways, if you will. Um, I don't want to blame this on Khalil Tate because I, I truly believe like this is not he, – he had, he had a game. He had a good game, right? He ended up with two interceptions. The first one, as you mentioned, was not his fault whatsoever. Uh, he could not have thrown a better ball to, to Drew Dixon, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. Went right through his hands, bounced off the chest. And credit to Hawaii, the defender made a crazy play. He made a very good play laying out for it uh, and then ultimately securing the interception. The second one, though, and this is kind of when it was like, you know, Arizona did a great job. You know, defensively, the the turnovers kind of started to stop the bleeding, I guess, if you will. Right. With how with how 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 dominant offensively Hawaii had been. Uh, The offense was starting to pick up some some pace here, starting to pick up some momentum, starting to feel good about themselves. Arizona's offense, that is. And then we had the chance to take the lead and Quill Tate in the red zone through that terrible interception. Oh, and it seemed like from there, we just never really, uh, we never, you know, we never really recovered from that. Um, how much, I mean, again, it is not Quill Tate 
Bob's fault that we lost this game. Uh, if it weren't for him, I mean, quite frankly, we probably would have been completely blown out and never even in this game. We trailed by 14 twice and came back to tie the game both times. But um, how, I mean, how concerning is that to, to, to you just based off, you know, like he's a senior quarterback. Uh, there's a lot, I don't want to say a lot on the line, but clearly in the, in that moment, you had the opportunity uh, to give your team the lead, to drive them to the end zone. Mm-hmm. And it was just kind of a careless, a careless play in my oh, opinion. I mean, a is, read, I, like, a, yeah, I mean, how, how, how concerning? Option. No, it was terrible. Mm-hmm. Like there, there's no defending that play. And you're right. It's, Tate's that type of quarterback, too, especially this game. It, it reminded me a lot of the ASU game, which is horribly disappointing to think about and be reminded yeah. of. But he played really well for big stretches of the football game, but made one just absolutely crushing mistake that you could argue cost them a chance to win the game because Arizona was driving there. They held Hawaii to a field goal. They were driving down. They were going to score a touchdown or, at worst, tie the game. Instead, you turn the ball over. They return it back to midfield and end up going again, a touchdown going up by 10. But even with all that, Tate nearly led them back again. You know, right. it's like, mm-hmm. I think what we're seeing from Khalil Tate is two years ago when he had that monster stretch and he was the best player in college football, he was great. And Arizona, talent-wise, isn't good enough to win a lot of these games unless Khalil Tate is great. And he was good against Hawaii. He made his mistakes. He wasn't perfect, especially early on. He missed some easy throws that would have gone for first downs at least, if not 20, 30 yards. And he had that really bad interception. I guess I think I saw Michael Lev, friend of the program, tweet out that it was his first ever red zone interception. Is that true? Tate's ever wow. Thrown. Huh. Like, that was the first one. So it's like, generally, he's good in that area. And you'd think with his ability to run, of course. But he was good this game, just not great. And that's not enough for Arizona to win against most teams, or at least any competent team. But there were other things, too, in this game. Like, Khalil Tate did run the ball. Like, this was the type of Khalil Tate game we were all hoping to see. Minus the turnovers, but he ran for over 100 yards. He passed for over 350 yards, three touchdowns. Like, he was a playmaker. Just unfortunately, there's that one interception. Then, of course, the final run where he needed one more yard to get into the end zone. Like, that's how close it was. Where if if Tate scores on that run, then the narrative, of course, is, wow, he led them back. He rebounded from the turnover. And what a gutsy run on the last play of the game to be the Khalil Tate of old vintage Tate and punch it in Mm -hmm. the end zone. Whether Arizona goes on and wins the game, I would have gone for two had they scored there. Yep. But, and if they do, depending on what happens, if Arizona wins, and Khalil Tate's a hero. He had one really bad throw that turned into an interception. He missed a couple other throws that he should have completed. But otherwise, he played a good enough game to say, you know what, you're not the issue. You're not the reason why Arizona lost. But instead, it was a collection of things similar to that ASU game where all these little mistakes had to happen, and they added up to the final result. If Dixon doesn't drop that ball, if Arizona gets a stop on fourth down, they gave up a couple of those, right? Like, if certain things happen, maybe if they don't have to burn a timeout trying to kick what ended up being a 53-yard field goal. Like, mm-hmm. all these things happen, and Tate just wasn't great enough to make up for it. It, it was disappointing. Um, it, it was disappointing, and you bring up a great point, too, the, uh, and we were going to get to it. But that run, that, that run there at the end, um, as soon as he cleared the corner on those linebackers, and obviously the defense was in prevent, so um, it makes more out there. Yeah. It, it, it makes tons of sense that there was that much space, but then actually seeing it unfold once he got the corner, um, once he got inside the 10, I was thinking like, no way. Is he really about to, is he really about to punch this in? Um, Adam, I, I, I do want to focus on, you know, 
I want to end this discussion on, on a couple positive notes uh, and that those positive notes, of course, will be the offense. J.J. Taylor, um, how the how, Jamar Joyner, another one. Uh, Adam, before we do, let's take a break to hear from a couple of our sponsors. All right, Adam. So getting back to it here, just to wrap up the Hawaii discussion before we move on to NAU and preview the Lumberjacks, uh, the, the, the positives for me, I mean, I thought JJ Taylor looked good, right? Um, it was clear early on. They weren't necessarily, I, I, it, it seemed like the game plan was not geared towards him, getting him going. Uh, that, that was very apparent in those first couple drives where I think he ran the ball like once, definitely not even on that first drive. Mm-hmm. Um, not a big deal, but you know, what you're getting out of him and, and he, and he definitely flashed, you know, what he can give you. Uh, Jamar Joyner, I thought, looked really good. Um, Khalil Tate, as you mentioned, too, his, his legs, he he's healthy. When he's healthy, he is a real threat. And the other thing, too, is I saw him hitting those intermediate routes, or at least trying to hit those intermediate routes, right? He had the big the big bomb to Stanley uh, Hillberry or, or Barry Hill, excuse me. Um, that looked good, but he was also, it looked like he was taking advantage of the check downs, the intermediate routes. Um, those three things stood out to me, Adam. I, I, I do feel, you know, again, the offense, the offense is going to put up points. They did a good job of putting up points. Obviously, just, they weren't enough points this go round, but 38 points, it's hard to get mad at. Um, how, how, did, how did you feel overall with the offense's performance? And kind of similarly to the defensive question, you know, what kind of foreshadowing, how do you feel moving forward with it? Yeah, I think offensively, we know what there is in J.J. Taylor. You know what you have in Khalil Tate, especially healthy. The receivers you're kind of wondering about, and you saw the reason for optimism. Joyner looked pretty good for a guy playing his first ever game at wide receiver. Mm-hmm. Cunningham showed some speed. Barry Hill was his usual self, right? So like, there were flashes. Bryce Woolmuff was back in the game. He yeah. got one catch. It was a touchdown. But yep. you saw the weapons that they have. But the offensive line, which has kind of been rebuilt, wasn't great because Tate was under pressure a decent amount of the game, and they weren't opening up these huge holes for the running backs for Taylor. So it's, I feel like watching that game, and it's tough to pin it on the offensive play calling because when you have these read options, maybe there's a play that's there and the quarterback reads it wrong. Like if he checks out of a run, then it goes to the pass and it's incomplete, then you're thinking, why aren't you running the ball? So I understand there's some give and take there, but to your point, Generally, 38 points is a good performance, but I wouldn't say it was a good performance against Hawaii. That's not a good defense that they were playing against, and yet 38 points was the most they could muster with all those turnovers. Now, granted, they weren't turnovers that gave them short fields. Arizona had to drive pretty much the length of the field every single time. But to me, 38 points, I think the offensive line needed to play better. I think the receivers needed to play better and make some catches that they didn't come down with. I think Tate could have been more accurate at some times. Like, I just... Maybe I'm just being an apologist for the defense of defense that gave up 45 points. I understand that. But to me, you can't fall behind 14 nothing against yeah. Hawaii when you have a couple of possessions. You can't fall behind 35-21. Like, the game was 28-21 at halftime. Arizona goes three and out to start the third quarter. Right? You had momentum, and now you just gave mm-hmm. it back up again. And those are the things, like, Arizona's offense needs to put pressure on opponents to help Arizona's defense because – Talent-wise, Arizona's best players, for the most part, the most depth they have is on offense with the skill positions. So like it's, that's why I say I have a hard time blaming any one aspect of the team or any one player for this game because, yes, if the defense gets a stop more or another stop somewhere along the way, it's a different game. If the offense doesn't turn the ball over or if 
They have one more time. There's so many things. Coaching, offense, defense, there's responsibility or blame to go around the entire roster, and that's how you lose a game like this. That No, Hawaii's not a bad team. It wouldn't shock me if they end up going to a bowl game this season. But you'd like to think that Arizona was more talented. You'd like to think Arizona could go on the road, even if it is a road game, a tough trip to take, and beat a team like Hawaii. And who knows, they might have been a yard and a half away from doing so. But this was so much like last year's Arizona team, where just they made just enough mistakes, where they're not so overwhelmingly talented where they can just show up and beat someone on a bad day, where Arizona has to play well to beat pretty good teams. And they did just enough to make it say, you know what, there's hope. We could talk about optimism in this show because there were things to be fairly pleased with. But yet, they still lost the game because, along with that hope, there's enough downside, enough things that they did wrong and poorly, mistakes, that make you go, huh, maybe they aren't as good as we hoped they'd be. But I think that, looking at it that way, it's tough to really judge them after this game unless you want to judge them after this game plus what we saw last season and say it's more of the same. Yeah, it um, it has the opportunity, um, just based off what we saw, it feels like this season has the opportunity to either be a long one, right? Or or hopefully the, hopefully we can figure out some things and really pull this thing together. Um, and, you know, maybe still get back on that track of 7-5, and five, which we each predicted. Adam, and I'll hold that question to the end, see if we need to readjust where we stand uh, with, with, with the season prediction. But um, overall, uh, overall, right, um, I think Noel Mazzoni did a good job schematically. I, I think I think he did a good job with the game plan. It, it was it was a good game plan that integrated both Khalil Tate's healthy legs and his arm, and then also not necessarily you know as I mentioned with with the deep ball, but um, but but really you know it was obviously in Khalil Tate's head that you know okay we can't be bombing the ball down the field you know once it once every three plays right uh, we have to be more methodical we have to and because you know that that plays the other way too and giving the defense a little bit of rest because you get all these three and outs especially as the game goes on. Um, uh, and the defense is just giving up whatever they ended up giving up, like 700 yards, what have you. Um, that that's going to get worse. That can get worse in in a game against a Washington State uh, or just what have you, Oregon at Oregon. I know we don't play at Washington State this year, but 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 the point is, you know, if you do that against a more talented team, uh, it's going to be a lot uglier than just a one possession game late in the game. So. Um, Adam, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that's good. Again, for for anybody that uh, did not have a chance and is interested. Be sure to go back and listen to the podcast that Rick DeNice, Bryant, and Rob Bowern did. Uh, they, they did a really good job breaking that whole thing down and what to look for coming forward. Uh, Adam, so that is behind us. Moving on to the next opponent, which is in-state. Uh, I don't know if you can say rival, but there is definitely a nice, uh, you know, there, 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 is, there is some familiarity uh, between the two, right? Uh, the NAU Lumberjacks. Return to Tucson next weekend, or excuse me, this upcoming Saturday, and I, I'm 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 pretty excited, I guess, just to see for one how the defense responds. Right, I don't think that there's much that you can really take away from an FCS opponent uh, in terms of I don't know, like riding the ship, right? But 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 it's almost like. It's almost the same narrative, you know, like in training camp or, you know, in practice in something, right? It's like if you if, if you don't necessarily hear, you know, like glowing reviews or, you know, people going nuts, you know, like I'm not giving somebody I'm not giving somebody a ton of credit for looking good in practice, right? Like practice right. is designed for you to look good. Uh, I will throw red flags and be very concerned if there's a little chatter about like, 
eh, you know, we could have done this better. We could have done that better. Like, you know, that, that that's a little unsettling. So I, I take that and, and I draw a similar comparison to what I expect this upcoming game to be against NAU, right? Uh, I'm not going to necessarily hand out kudos uh, for, you know, a 63 nothing walloping of the whole thing, right? But um, but you better believe that I will, a lot of people will be very critical and very upset if this is a, I would say even like a 14-point game, Adam. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, moving into the actual preview of NAU here. So for those who have not been able to research NAU just yet, first year head coach, Chris Ball. Um, some of you may remember him. He, he was the defensive coordinator for the University of Memphis for the last three years under Mike Norville. Of course, both of them were under the Todd Graham regime at one point in time. Uh, with with ASU, so there is you know Chris has a little bit of familiarity also uh, with with Arizona, um, not necessarily Kevin Sumlin. Uh, however, he did play. He was on the coaching staff when uh, Texas A and M just really took it to Mike Berkovici and Todd Graham in their preseason ranked fifteen. I digress some. I, I just love that they were 15th and they got whooped. But um, anyway, yeah, moving on. First year head coach, um, a familiar face at quarterback as well. Uh, Case Cookus, right? So Case Cookus, uh, yeah, he's been there for a while. He actually uh, could have he could have left Flagstaff this offseason. He could have been a graduate transfer and played immediately somewhere else. He decided to stick it out. Now he has in, in two of his four years in Flagstaff. Uh, he has been hurt, right? So he's really only has a track record and that includes last year, right? Last year he missed considerable amount of time, which really probably derailed and explains a lot of the four and six, uh, outcome of the season that, that NAU had. You may be asking yourself four and six, 10 games, uh, FCS. They normally play 11. One of the games I believe was canceled because it was up in, uh, in, in Northern California around the wildfires that's right. and it just wasn't rescheduled. So, uh, that's how you finish with the four and six mark, but case cookies is legitimate, right? Uh, as far as, you know, the FCS and the FCS has put out some, you know, obviously over the years, some pretty talented, uh, some, some pretty talented overall position players, but then also too, I mean, quarterbacks, right? Uh, Carson Wentz is the first one to come to mind. If, you are heralded as one of the top quarterbacks in the FCS, which Case Cookus is, uh, you can expect somebody who knows what he's doing, right? Um, the offensive line a little bit uh, up, up, up in the air. They, they were dealing with some injuries last year, too. Uh, they actually had a, uh, a very sudden and unexpected passing uh, of their probably their best offensive line, uh, Malik Noshi. Uh, in the offseason, he was the only offensive lineman last year to receive any all-conference honors uh, within the big uh, within the big sky um, as far as position players, Joe Logan, somebody that jumps out at him, you know, if you remember two years ago, uh, and you actually had two 100 yard rushers, mm -hmm. if you can believe that Joe Logan was one of them. So he is familiar with, uh, with, with, I don't want to say making it happen, but at least producing down in Tucson, right. Uh, in Arizona stadium. And then, uh, Brandon Porter is probably the other name you need to know from an offensive standpoint. Uh, we will jump into the box score because NAU is currently sitting with a perfect one and record. Uh, they did host Missouri state last week. Uh, Adam, I'm going to throw to you uh, case case Cookus, right? I mean, I know this, this is probably uh, the name to know for the lumberjacks. And I, I know you're a big in-state sports guy too. Uh, I'm sure you've come across his name, read some positive things, uh, overall thoughts on case Cookus, And I mean, I'm sure you like it too. I mean, pretty cool that he's stuck around for, uh, for his fifth year, right? Yeah. And he's the guy I remember a couple of years ago when they went to Tucson, people were like, Oh, case Cookus going to, 
maybe do some work against Arizona's defense, and he wasn't exactly great. But mm-hmm. he is a veteran quarterback, a guy who stuck around in, uh, in Flagstaff, and you appreciate that. You respect that. And he's certainly a guy, too. You saw what happened last year against Missouri State, that he's capable. But at the same time, you look at him and say he's got the tools. He's a big quarterback, you know, 6'4", over 200 pounds. He's experienced. So he's the type of guy that would be dangerous. But, man, I have a hard time getting all that worried about NAU. Maybe to my own peril. <laughs> we may be doing the show a week from now, and people are like, geez, Adam. What is wrong yeah, right. with you? <laughs> you know, but this and that's what happens when you lose to Hawaii. That's what happens when your defense doesn't seem to put up much of a fight as you feel like anyone could come into town and score points on you. But certainly this is that type of game too where you can't overlook any because they do have some experience and they have guys who have played at Arizona Stadium and had success there. So Cookus isn't going to be intimidated by that type of a crowd, whatever it is there. Logan's not going to be intimidated by that type of a crowd because they've played in it before. But at the same time, God, you have to hope that Arizona being a Pac-12 program, even if they're not the best Pac-12 program, being a Pac-12 program gives them enough of a talent disparity where at a home, even more so, they'll cruise in this one. But certainly when you have a team that has a veteran, capable quarterback and a good veteran running back, anything can happen. I Yeah, I, I, I want to say, too, that this... <laughs> Defensively, right, it, it, this just feels like the perfect opportunity for a bounce-back game. Now, again, I, I'm not going to put too much into whatever um, whatever positive outcome there is for NAU, uh, against NAU, rather. Um, but if you think back to last year, right, after the 0-1 start to BYU, they had, Arizona had a very tough challenge ahead of them, and it was probably somewhat underestimated. Now, there were some other factors that went into it, you know, like, you know, that, that, that 9 a.m., well, 9 a.m. Arizona time kickoff uh, in Houston, uh, what, I think 11 a.m., there was, it was hurricane season, it was muggy, it was terrible. The, I think, you know, I remember, I remember ABC having the sideline reporter holding up that little thermometer thing showing, yeah, you know, actually on the field, it's, it's, it's off the charts, and it was like more than like 130 degrees or something crazy. It was like, so yeah, I mean, uh, Ed Oliver, uh, you know, Houston, they, they, they were very athletic. You, you get the point, right? And we all know the outcome, right? Uh, this is a complete 180 compared to the Houston matchup as oh, far yeah. as I'm concerned. So uh, it, it's kind of nice because, you know, like if you flip the order last year, right, and you had Southern Utah, then Houston, you know, who knows? I mean, hopefully you would have been a little bit more prepared, but based off what we saw, it probably wouldn't have been the case. But, um, but it, it, it's very nice coming after having NAU coming after a game like Hawaii. And to your point, you know, Case Cook is, yes, although at the FCS level, he is a competent quarterback that can produce, right? His biggest challenge has just been staying healthy. Mm-hmm. When he's healthy, I mean, he, he's very competent, and NAU can be good. And then bringing this back full circle with new head coach Chris Ball, I mean, he, you know, yes, he, can, he comes from a group of five uh, member in the University of Memphis, but of course he does have Pac-12 experience, uh, you know, at least in some sort of, not necessarily defensive coordinator, uh, but, but, you know, in some sort of defensive coach capacity, if you will. So, um, yeah, it's going to be, I don't want to say that it's going to be a good test. I mean, I think it'll be interesting, right? Because yeah, yeah, right. I I think it, uh, it should be, um, uh, hopefully I'm trying, I'm trying to look for the correct term here without being offensive to NAU. Right. But I think everybody gets where I'm going, right. It it should be exactly how we expect it. I'm expecting 100% 
Um, I, if, if I see anything less than like, or anything more than like seven points on the board for NAU after the first half, I'm going to be a little upset. So that's 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 the trouble for your team like Arizona in a game like this. And you said it earlier, there's not, there's not really (laughs) much to take away from this game positive, right? Even if you have a win 75 to three, you're still Mm -hmm. like, well, that was NAU. Yep. You're supposed to do that to them. Whereas if it's anywhere close or if Arizona, if it's, 14 to 10 at halftime, and then Arizona goes on and wins 45 to 17 or something, you know, dominates the second half, kind of like what ASU did to Kent State uh, last week. You leave in saying, eh, well, that wasn't terribly inspiring, especially yeah, right. now going into Texas Tech game. Whereas if Arizona beat Hawaii, Arizona can play whatever they want against any of you, you win the game, and people are like, oh, yeah, you're 2-0. and You have a pretty good win on the road. You beat the cupcake at home. Now you're ready for Texas Tech. So this is that type of game where – yeah, obviously you're ideally going to see some of the backups play. Maybe get Grant Gunnell one of his yes. four chances this season before he would have to burn the red shirt. Where someone like Brightwell and other running backs besides J.J. Taylor can get the bulk of the carries. Where Khalil Tate maybe only plays three quarters or two and a half quarters and doesn't have to run as much. And when he does, it's clean and he's running for a 45-yard touchdown or something like that. But you'd have to hope that Arizona doesn't have to bring out everything in this game. That they don't have to have all the trick plays and all the special things that maybe they were saving even against Hawaii, maybe for Texas Tech. Like They should be able to be vanilla and just win by talent alone in this game. But coming off the Hawaii loss, if you're an Arizona fan, like I know I'm excited for this game because I just like watching Arizona look good, even if it's against lesser competition. But Arizona needs that to happen. They need to look good in this game just for people to say, okay, maybe Hawaii was not the barometer. Because NAU won't be the barometer, but you kind of want them to be something in between what we saw last week or against Hawaii and then what we'll probably see against NAU. Like, Arizona's probably not going to be as good a football team as they should look uh, Saturday against the Lumberjacks, but maybe they're not as bad as a team as we saw in Hawaii either. So something in between might be where they settle in, but the best way to make people think that that could be the case is by going out there and your good players doing what makes them good players. Mm Mm-hmm. Definitely. Uh, Adam, let's jump into the box score. So as mentioned, right, uh, NAU already, uh, just like just about everybody else at this point, right, uh, has played a game. They hosted Missouri State. Uh, Missouri State, another FCS opponent, came to Flagstaff. NAU took care of business mm-hmm. 37-23. So Case Cook has looked pretty good, I think, overall, right? His final stats here, uh, 18 of 29, 290 yards, two touchdowns. Um, Um, I think, Adam, the biggest problem coming into this year is that NAU had an absolute stud at wide receiver in Emmanuel Butler. Some may remember him from a couple years ago. He had a decent game, but not not like the running backs both going off for 100 yards. Um, Brandon Porter is going to be the guy to look for this year, and that'll be the key matchup to see how, you know, who goes on him. Now, Brandon Porter, 5'10", right, doesn't have, doesn't have that, you know, crazy awesome size uh, for the prototypical wide receiver, something you would feel good about, right? Um, but he is nonetheless very talented, and he, he he has a chance. He and Case Cookus, they probably built up a little bit of, uh, a little bit of rapport, you know, over the last couple of years, what have you. Um, it should be an interesting little test for just in these little games within the games, right? I mean, I'm certainly expecting um 
a little bit more of a defensive front presence, if you will. So hopefully Case Cookus doesn't have all the time in the world like we saw Cole McDonald in Hawaii throw the ball, which if that's the case, then that might be some trouble uh, for the secondary. But uh, Adam, let's go ahead and jump more into the box score from Missouri State. Before we do, let's take another quick break to hear from a couple more sponsors. All right, Adam. So then just circling back and kind of closing out this thing with Brandon Porter, right? Before we, before we move on to everyone else, um, for those of you who have not looked at the box score or probably won't look at the box score, I'll just fill you in. So Brandon Porter finished with six receptions, 140 yards, two touchdowns. He did have a 62 yarder, uh, which, you know, took care of uh, most of that 140. He also had a design pass play for him. Uh, he did complete the one attempt that he had for 55 yards and a touchdown. Um, I, I mean, I think that just speaks to what type of uh, what type of talent maybe we're dealing with here, Brandon Porter, uh, against Mississippi State. If that happens against Arizona, um, I, you know, I, I was on Twitter and I'll, and I'll own it. I was, of course, after the game. Hashtag fire Yates, uh, getting that one going. However, I cannot take responsibility for the fire Marcel Yates website. That was not me. Fire Marcel Um, but no, I, I was definitely, um, if you thought, if, if you thought I was a little over the top, uh, with my hashtag fire Yates and, uh, against Hawaii and we see Brandon Porter do this type of nonsense, uh, uh, against Arizona on Saturday night. Uh, it's going to be ratcheted up just a little bit here. Uh, Joe Logan, though, Joe Logan, not necessarily the type of performance you'd like to see from 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 your stud guy. Uh, Joe Logan, 13 carries, 25 yards and a touchdown. Um, you know, he, he's going to be the guy. I, I know uh, Keandre Woody. He's also getting some touches too, right. Uh, eight carries, 36 yards. He actually uh, also had. Uh, a couple passing attempts that is not necessarily, I, I, I wouldn't expect that to necessarily be the case. Um, like I said, Joe Logan should 100% be the guy here beyond those two skill position players though. You know, Adam, I'm not really seeing much else here. I mean, um, you know, again, not a knock to NAU. I think it's just kind of where we stand with FBS versus SCS. Am I off base on this? I don't think so. Now, Grant, neither one of us are NAU insiders. But mm-hmm. even just looking at the box score, and of course a box score doesn't always tell the story of a game. You look at the one from Arizona-Hawaii, you think Arizona played pretty well in a lot of ways. But I look at this and see NAU winning a game with a terrible running attack. You know, Logan, 25 yards and a touchdown on 13 carries, that's miserable. They only had 88 rushing yards as a team. They averaged 2.4 yards a run. And that's just as bad. Yeah. And Porter, I guess the one thing that if you want to be nervous about, he's a 5'10", 165 receiver. Well, those little receivers, say Cedric Bird, who's 5'9", yep. 175, Arizona kind of struggled with already <laughs> this season. So you see that and say, okay, maybe there's something to be moderately concerned with. But NAU doesn't look like they have the build of a team that should be able to pull off an upset like this on the road. They don't have that dominant running game or a dominant defense. They don't have a dominant anything. They don't have that Carson Wentz or one of those players who you're like, that guy is going to be a day one or two pick in the NFL draft next season. He just happened happened to be at a smaller school in college for whatever reason. They don't have that type of player. They have some nice players, especially for that level. But, no, looking at the box, we're looking at what they have on their roster. There isn't a ton that makes you say, well, that guy worries me, that guy worries me. Oh, watch out for that guy, too. That shouldn't be the case. Like, this is going to be easily one of those games where it's all about what Arizona does, not what happens on the NAU side of things. 
if Arizona plays fine, unless Arizona trips all over you know, its own feet and throws up over itself for four quarters on Saturday, the Wildcats are going to win the game. They are more talented than NAU. But that's not to say NAU's not going to score some points. They're going to have a driver, a player like, geez, how could Arizona let that happen? They are still a capable football team with experience in games like this against teams that are probably better than what Arizona is at times. But I just don't look at this box score. I don't look at this roster and see a team or see really any position group that scares me, not even a little. A little piece of clarification for Keandre Woody. Uh, he, he is a, a quarterback, so okay, uh, Case Cookus did. Uh, you know, there were a couple design plays for Woody to get out there. Uh, Woody last played with Oklahoma State, uh, so he does have some Power 5 experience, made the transfer over to NAU. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Adam, right? I mean, as far as the offense is concerned. Hey, now, I, th- th- there's going to be some individual matchups that, that could be telling. I just think as a whole, as I said, it's not. Um, it would be very shocking to see NAU to come in and take care of business, um, really in any capacity, and even taking care of business, not even necessarily getting the win, just kind of keeping it close. Oh, there's going to be uh, some plays, though, where Cookus has time and finds a receiver open down the field. It's mm-hmm. going to happen. Arizona's not going to shut them out. Arizona's not going to look like the desert swarm defense against NAU on Saturday. But that also is to say that Arizona's not going to really be threatened this game either. So right. if, a, if a good play happens for NAU, don't be like, oh, geez, look at Arizona. What's <laughs> right. going on here? Fire Yates. Yeah. You know, don't get the hashtag out just in case there's one touchdown for NAU. Uh, I can't promise off. anything. <laughs> but <laughs> I, sure, though, if NAU puts up 400-plus yards of offense and keeps this game close, or if Arizona's defensive line is just getting gashed play after play after play, and the receivers are running free all game, then you go, oh, there's, there's some real issues here. But I have a hard time seeing that happen. Even – Teams, Arizona teams that haven't been, I don't know if this year's team is good. I think it's better than they looked against Hawaii. But we've seen worse U of A teams handle NAU with little trouble. <laughs> and yeah. NAU's good for their level, and they've produced some pretty good players. Like you mentioned, Manuel Butler, who's in, I think he's with the Saints right now, and he was wowing them in uh, training camp and preseason. They like him, so they produce some good players. I just don't know if there's that player on their roster right now. And it's certainly not enough of those guys to really make Arizona sweat in this one. Switching to the defensive side of the ball, Adam, I'm just going to throw a couple key names out there for us to keep an eye on. Uh, starting up front with Jalen Goss. Uh, Jalen Goss is, uh, you know, he, he, he had a tremendous 2018 season for the Lumberjacks. Uh, he's back and, uh, you know, I would expect to see, I guess I'm not necessarily sure what type of production to expect from him. Six one three hundred, uh, just a solid piece in the interior line for the interior line of the defense. I, you know, it seems it seems pretty easy. I would say, and I mean, this is I'm oversimplifying things, of course, because Marcel Yates is you know a more of a football mind than I'll ever be. But um, when you're talking about just a simple situation where the obvious stud on the line is Jalen Goss, it'll be interesting to see what kind what what what, what type of um, what type of game plan, I guess, is, is set up for that, right? I mean, are you, is it going to be as simple as, you know, do we trust a one-on-one or is, is he going to be giving us a little bit of trouble early on and there's going to have to be some double inside to get Jalen Goss out of it? 
um, to, to take Jalen Goss. Maybe you know, out of the running game, moving him around, and maybe he's getting some pressure. Not exactly sure. He was uh, he was honored with a uh, Big Sky Defensive Player of the Week uh, back in 2018. He has more than you know more than enough in terms of size and talent uh, to, to to create some disruptions on Saturday. But it's just more of you know. Coming off a 2018 All Big Sky third team performance, you know, like I said, Player of the Week at one point. You know, he's. It's going to be tough when there's just these bits and pieces, but keep an eye on Jalen Goss. Another player to keep an eye on as well is Khalil Dorsey. Khalil Dorsey uh, made first team All Big Sky last year as a cornerback. Um, this to me, Adam is probably the one to keep a little bit more of an eye on than the Jalen Goss matchup, because I think it's going to be somewhat easy, uh, easier rather, uh, for the offensive line to take Jalen Goss out of, out of this, because you can easily throw two guys on him. Um, maybe three at times if he's being that much of a disruption. But uh, as far as Khalil Dorsey, um, him, you know, manning up at whatever point. I mean, uh, we saw our, our our wide receivers as a group somewhat struggle. And I know Jamar Joyner finished with a very strong line uh, against Hawaii, um, but there were still at times where you know you reminded that he converted from quarterback, right? Like that is not his natural position. Um, he is a natural athlete, sure, but it'll be interesting to see um, what kind. What type of chest uh, type of chest play is is worked out here by Chris Ball uh, with Khalil Dorsey moving around. I, I, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, it gets back to, you know, Khalil Tate, I think, is probably at this point in his collegiate career. Um, he's going to be able to snuff it out quick. I mean, he's not going to get caught up in a thing where he's baited into throwing to Khalil Dorsey, hopefully. Right. Um, sure and hopefully there's to. a little bit. Yeah. Hopefully a little bit more awareness there for Khalil Tate to, to not make this a thing for Khalil Dorsey to, to really stick it to us. Um, Tristan Vance, Taylor Powell, Taylor Powell is a little banged up. Both of them are linebackers. Um, Taylor Powell was a little banged up come, uh, you know, he, he's had trouble staying healthy over the last couple of years as well. Um, but if he is healthy and I think that that is actually going to be a game time decision. Uh, but the two of them in the middle, you know, they have, they have experience and quality at, at each level of the defense. Again, it just gets back to, um, is that enough? It likely won't be, but keep an eye on those guys. Um, Adam of, of the three that I listed out and, you know, really the front seven, as far as Goss, uh, Vance slash Powell versus Khalil Dorsey in the secondary, which one is the most intriguing to you based off of what we saw from Hawaii? Do you want to see a little bit more in the air or do you want to see the running back with JJ Taylor and the rest of those backs get going? Say of the guys you mentioned, Goss is the one that I'm the most curious about because he's the guy who could help wreck the running game. Yet at the same time, he has a defensive lineman. You could double him. You could chip him. You can do certain things to take away one defensive player. That's just offense. And with two weeks to game plan for NAU, you'd like to think Noel Mazzoni and that staff would have some clue of what they're doing there. But this is that type of game where you're hoping to see Arizona establish the running game. We've heard so much all offseason and in all camp about that deep running back room past J.J. Taylor. And overall, they didn't really do a whole lot. Like, Wiley got a catch. Brightwell was involved in the game against Hawaii, but it wasn't like they dominated on the ground, Arizona. And this is the type of game where I would expect Arizona to dominate on the ground. And Goss is the one type of player who could really help wreck that. And Arizona, the offensive line I mentioned earlier, didn't look particularly great against Hawaii. There's some Mm -hmm. new players there, and there were moments where they opened up holes, and there were times they gave Tate enough time to pass the ball to find receivers, but they weren't consistent in any way. So to me, 
I'm curious to see if they can do that against NAU. Admittedly, again, an inferior opponent, someone who's significantly less talented, smaller than you, the exact type of team you should be able to physically push around up front. That's what I'm looking at Gosso because he's a big guy. What, 6'1", 300 pounds is what he's listed at? He's a big guy. And he had 10 tackles for loss last season. So the guy knows how to play. But he's also the type of player where if Arizona is good enough, and they better be good enough, they can essentially neutralize his impact and find running room in other places, give Tate time to throw the ball by blocking him better. But that's the thing. Arizona, Tate had 121 yards rushing last week. Taylor had 14 carries for 69 yards, a good average, 4.8. But Wiley had three carries. Tilford had a one. Like, I want to see this running back room show up on Saturday, and that means dominating at the line of scrimmage, which in turn means taking a guy like Goss out of the game, essentially. Like, not injuring him. I don't mean like that. Right, 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 right. Not letting him be a disruptive force like he's capable of being. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, it, it, it should be interesting. Again, there will be some interesting matchups, uh, the, the game within the game, right? Keeping an eye on those certain things. For me, Clil Dorsey is what I want to see because I want to see um, he, he's a legitimate cornerback and he has awesome size, too, uh, as far as cornerbacks are concerned. I my my thing would be really. My thing would be pressing who, who he gets matched up on, right? And, and is he going to be is he going to be matched up with, say, just Jamari Joyner, and he's going to be on Jamari Joyner the whole game? We and if he is one receiver <laughs> at this point, right? And if he is, what kind of disruption does that create for the offense, right? Um, because Jamari Joyner was really the only one that showed really any sort of consistency uh, within the Hawaii game, right? So we're looking to build off of that. Um, is it going to be a situation where Quill Dorsey just stays on one side of the field and then it's easy to, to scheme against that, right? Where it's like, okay, well, yeah, we'll keep Jamari Joyner or, you know, if we, if we want to get Booby Curry going, uh, keep him away from Jaleel, uh, Khalil Dorsey. Um, it, it'll just be interesting to see what type of chess match is being played uh, to either to go at Quill Dorsey uh, or, or, or stay away uh, like it's the plague. But um, yeah, for me, I like the idea of Dorsey uh, with, with just these, these quick little, you know, who's he going to be on? And then also to gossip front, because I do want to see a little bit more from the running game get going. And, and I, I think this is a perfect opportunity for that. So, so I definitely agree with that side as well. Adam, now, let's you've, go. You've, you've studied them a little bit more maybe than I have. Dorsey, he's not necessarily a shutdown type of cornerback. He just has the tools to be a capable one and present, I mean, cover someone like Joyner at times. But like, I look at this Arizona offense and see, okay, I don't know if he's the type of player that you avoid, but at the same time, you don't have any one receiver that you need to force the ball to either. So That's probably the case. So if a guy like Joyner, which who knows what the number, who they're going to see as a number one receiver, maybe they just keep him outside, right, depending on, mm-hmm. forget the player, just what part of the field they're going to put him on. But there's plenty of opportunity for someone else like Barry Hill or Castile or Dixon or Curry to get on the field and make plays. So that's kind of – I think that's what you're going to hope to see in this game. Like, we agree on the running game, it sounds like. Like, you want to see better that. But in the past game, you have all these guys who are supposed to be good weapons. If you have to avoid whoever Dorsey's on, if he proves to be that good on Saturday, you should have no shortage of options to keep your offense moving. You know, if he's on Joiner, okay, look to Barry Hill. Look to Castillo, look to Dixon, look to whoever else is out there, look to Wolma, get him even more involved in the offense. Like yep. Those options should be there, and any of you should not, even if they have one good, capable cornerback, doesn't mean they have enough to hang with all the other receivers, assuming Tate has time to find them. And that's where the offensive line, again, with the running game, just the offensive line needs to impose its will in this game, which 
the best Arizona teams. How many years in a row has Arizona led the conference in rushing? Is it like the last three seasons or something like that? Even last season, Arizona led the conference in rushing. They didn't look like a team that could do that against Hawaii. And that wasn't exactly a great defensive front that they were facing. So NAU, Goss is a good player. Arizona needs to be able to handle a defense like this and run the ball down their throats and have time for Tate to throw. He shouldn't be running for his life. A few design runs, sure. But he shouldn't have to be scrambling every other pass drop back. That, that shouldn't be mm-hmm. the case. And Taylor should have ample room to run. Brightwell should. Tilford should. Like Arizona should have no trouble up front. But that's, to me, the most important thing to see because, yeah, they have a good cornerback. That's fine. But that shouldn't matter. Not in this game. Hey, Adam, completely off topic, but how cool was that to see Nathan Tilford get in there? And <laughs> speaking of foreshadowing, I mean, is this going to be a nice little goal line package to see that massive man in there punching it, worked, it in? Right? Like, uh, it did? I'll take yeah. my chance with him from the one-yard line. And that's, <laughs> like, we went back. I know we each agreed that if Arizona would have scored at the end of the game to go for two, I'm so curious yeah. what the play call would have been. I imagine Taylor's the one on the field. But with Tate, Taylor, and guys like Joyner and the size, that receiver, like, I don't know what you do there. But I would have been excited to see it. Because, yeah. to be fair, Arizona's red zone offense wasn't as good as it needed to be last season. It wasn't bad against, like, they, they looked okay other than the turnover, the interception. Mm-hmm. Arizona yeah. was not otherwise bad in the red zone. They converted. Even the field goal was, I guess, ended up being a 53-yard field goal. But it was outside the red zone. So, Arizona, you think they have those options. And Tilford, yeah, if he's capable of being at least a goal line back, that's just a big boy to hand the ball to to go run downhill like that. Um, off topic again, but you threw that out there. I mean, and, and we're going to wrap this thing up here quick cause we're coming up on an hour, but, uh, is it, should we ever want Lucas Haversek to kick anything less than 50 yards? <laughs> we struggled last year with his accuracy, like inside 40, but man, he, that was cold blooded for him just to oh, nail that thing. Yeah, well, he hit, he made what, like three field goals in that sequence. Yeah. Like, right. And I, I know that I saw some people tweet, like it gave them those flashbacks after missing against ASU. Like, Oh man, what if Haversick was out there? Well, last season Haversick wasn't consistent. We all saw that, but we all know he has the leg. So yeah. that, that he could make it from 53 years. Did he make one against Washington state a couple of years ago? That was like 60 yards or something like that. You know, it was right before that. the, it was right before halftime. Yeah. yeah. It was, it was just under 60. I think it was like 58 or something. Okay. Yeah. So like he's got the leg and I guess when I was punting game, wasn't exactly great. Aragon didn't do much to impress me, but Haversick, he made his extra points and he made a ridiculously clutch field goal in terrible circumstances. Right. Like you kick a 38 yard, you think, okay, I did my job. And then you have to, it gets called back because there's a penalty. Then there's another penalty. Kick another one. There's a penalty. It's like, to have the mental fortitude to go out there in that moment, because if he misses that field goal, one, no one would have blamed him. But mm-hmm. two, if he misses that field goal, that game's over right then and there. Yes, yes. And him making that kick under those circumstances with all the bad things that happened, to have that in him, maybe it looks like he's finally turned that corner, at least mentally. I don't know if that was an issue last season, but that he's a confident kicker. He goes out there, just follow your process, do your motion, kick the ball through the uprights. Mm-hmm. Because so much of kicking is a mental thing, and he went out there with all those terrible things that weren't his fault at all, and he did his job and kept Arizona Take in the game and gave the Wildcats a chance to pull it out at the end by making a 53-yard field goal. It's I impressive. All of us were nervous about 38 yards. That's not a yeah. gimme. Well, no, uh-huh. It's a gimme for Arizona kickers, as we all know, but 38's hardly a gimme. 53, no way, and he just drilled it like that after all that going on. So that was one of the most impressive things that – happen in that game and certainly it's only one kick but the way it went down has to make you feel pretty good about Haversick going forward 
Uh, I'm with you. I'm with you. I think that also too, after the ups and downs that we saw with him uh, last year and Josh Pollock ultimately being the first guy uh, towards the end of the season, first teamer, if you will, uh, it feels, it feels pretty good, right? It definitely, as you said, three straight kicks, uh, five yards, five yards, five yards deeper. Uh, It was pretty impressive to see. And he's still got that big leg, obviously. So, yeah. All right, Adam, that's going to do it for this week. Um, next week, we will do a quick recap, but then also, too, we're, we're going to look ahead to Texas Tech. Um, so we better be sitting at a one-in-one situation uh, this time next week. And uh, and then hopefully, you know, getting back, uh, fin- finishing two-in-one in non-conference salvages it, in my opinion, it right? Would. Uh, it would. It, it would. It would. And so we'll touch on that a little bit more next week. Uh, for all of our listeners, thanks so much for joining us. Be sure to check in on the recap show, which should be released uh, one week from today, uh, Monday. Uh, I know that the Bryant, Rick, and Rob are going to be recording Sunday evening. Bryant will probably even get that out. Uh, you know, Sunday evening, what have you, but, but definitely be looking for that first thing Monday morning. And until then bear down.